welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta, where we are committed to changing lives with faith, hope, and love. We're so glad you are here. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 2 through 9. Listen again for the word of the Lord. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling bright, such as no one on earth could brighten them. And then there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us set up three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice. This is my son, the beloved Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them, not to, them to tell no one about what they had seen, until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the last month, we've been following the early days of Jesus' ministry as told by Mark's Gospel, And if you were paying attention, you, you already know that. Uh, over the last month, we've been following along Mark's gospel. We started this journey back in January with Jesus arriving to the banks of the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. Were you here that morning when we, when we cast water over the congregation? Yes. That was that morning. If you were here that morning, you might remember how Jesus comes up from the water the heavens rip open and the Spirit of God descends and a voice says, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And in our reading today, you might have caught an echo of that same line. The first time, the voice addresses Jesus, you are my son. In fact, we don't think that the people around Jesus actually heard it. The people standing at the banks of the Jordan, even John the Baptist himself, doesn't seem to hear this voice. But the second time, the voice addresses the disciples as well. This is my son. And so we start the season of Epiphany with a private revelation of who Jesus is, and we end the season of Epiphany with a public revelation. And that public revelation, as we read in the text, is not made to all the disciples, but only to a select three, Peter, James, and John. Jesus chooses Peter, James, and John to go with him to the mountaintop. He chooses Peter, James, and John to witness his glory. He chooses Peter, James, and John to share this extraordinary experience. But why does he choose Peter, James, and John? Why? Of all the disciples Jesus could have chosen, why them? It's a valid question. Because remember, Peter, Mr. Act First and Ask Questions Later, Peter is the disciple who sees Jesus walking on the water and wants to try it out too, so he jumps right in. Peter is the disciple who, when Jesus offers to wash his feet, he asks for a whole bath. Peter's the one that says, I will follow you anywhere, Jesus, and within a few hours is denying Jesus, denying he ever knew him. Peter's not the most stable guy. That's Peter. What about James and John? Do you remember James and John? 
James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the fishermen, Jesus nicknames them the sons of thunder. Now, to be fair, Jesus nicknamed Peter, too. His real name was Simon. But the day Jesus met Simon, the first day he met Simon, he says, I'm calling you Peter, which means rock. Now, a lot later, Jesus turns this nickname into a compliment. But I'm not sure it was early on. The rock? I mean, Peter's the most wishy-washy, unreliable of the, all the disciples. The rock? I suspect Jesus was poking a little fun at Peter, kind of like calling a linebacker tiny. The rock. So for James and John, the sons of thunder, we know for sure this nickname isn't a compliment. James and John are like two bulls in a china shop. They are ambitious. We read that they loudly and openly speculate about which one of them will be second in command to Jesus. They're so obnoxious about it. It causes the other disciples tension and Jesus has to step in and straighten things out. Not only that, James and John are hot-tempered. Once a town doesn't welcome Jesus with open arms and James and John get mad. They get so mad, they offer to call down fire from heaven to consume the people. These are not exactly the compassionate, caring disciples that we imagine would have been around Jesus. So we have the rock and the sons of thunder, which sounds a lot like a WWE matchup. The, the rock and the sons of thunder. These are the folks that Jesus takes up the mountain with him. Frankly, I wonder if he was afraid to leave them behind. <laughs> in any case, in any case, up they go, up the mountain, where Jesus transfigures right before their eyes. Now, the Greek word here is metamorphosis, like a butterfly. Jesus transfigures. His clothes start to shine brighter than bright. He lights up like the angel on top of your Christmas tree. And suddenly, he's not alone. There are two others with him, Moses and Elijah. Have you ever wondered how they knew it was Moses and Elijah? Like, were they wearing name tags? Is Moses hauling around little plastic Ten Commandments to make sure we know who he is? We don't know. We just read that they, they see Moses and Elijah. These are the two of the greatest prophets in all of Jewish history, prophets through whom God worked in powerful, actually terrifying ways. They're intimidating figures in their own day. And now Moses and Elijah are standing right there and talking to Jesus, who's glowing like a nuclear reactor. Peter, James, and John, for all their bravado, they get a little freaked out. They knew their friend, Jesus. They knew their teacher and healer, Jesus. But they hadn't yet met this Jesus. They hadn't seen Jesus in his glory. Have you ever failed to recognize someone because they were out of context? I wonder if it was like that. This happens on a small scale all the time. Last week, I was at the gym and I ran into Heather Martin, who's been singing in the choir. I almost didn't recognize her because we're usually all dressed up here at church, not wearing our finest gym gear. So sometimes this happens on a small scale. and Sometimes it happens on a bigger one. Sometimes the stakes are higher when we don't recognize people. When I was an undergrad at Georgia Tech, I was invited to be a student representative at an alumni event. 
It was, a, it was a happy hour social. I'm not sure I'm supposed to tell you I've been to a happy hour before, but I have. Um, and this one was being held at the Georgia governor's mansion. So how could you say no to that? Has anyone been to the governor's mansion? I bet you haven't been there for a happy hour. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was so cool. I was so excited to be there. I wound up talking to a very nice man who asked me how college was going and what I liked about living in Atlanta, and I just started spilling my whole life story. I said, it's a lot bigger than my hometown. I grew up in Macon, and wouldn't you know, he grew up in Warner Robins. What? My dad works in Warner Robins, I said. What a small world. I was about to ask when he graduated from Georgia Tech, when he excused himself, walked to the podium, and welcomed us all into his home. <laughs> yes. And that's when I recognized that I was not talking to an alumni. I was talking to a man that didn't even go to Georgia Tech. And thanks be to God, I didn't ask when he graduated. Because all that time, I thought it was a regular guy. And I've been talking to Governor Sonny Perdue. So I didn't get up the nerve to talk to Governor Purdue again. I couldn't, I, I couldn't have put two words together if I wanted to once I figured out who he was. And I wonder if that's a, a small glimpse of how the disciples felt in the presence of the transfigured Jesus. One minute he's the guy they've been hanging around with, and the next minute he's something so much more. I imagine them laughing and joking as they hiked up the mountain but I bet the conversation coming back down was a lot different. We know that all three disciples were scared, and we hear Peter babbling. Rabbi, he says, and, and note this, he calls Jesus rabbi in this passage. It's the first time he uses that formal title in the Gospel of Mark. Rabbi, great one. It, it, it's, good, it's good that we're here. It's good that we're here. Me, me and the guys, we, we can do something. We can make you a dwelling. Three, three dwellings, three houses, three tents. That's what Peter comes up with, three houses. As if the thing that the transfigured Christ needs is a house. Jesus doesn't need a house or a tent. He didn't invite Peter up to the mountain because he needed a construction worker. Remember, Jesus' day job was as a tecton. We read that in scripture. That's a carpenter or a construction worker in the ancient world. If he had wanted a shelter, he could have built it himself. No miracles required. He didn't ask Peter, James, and John to the mountain to do something. He asked them up there to simply be with him to be with him, to bear witness to his glory. And that glory is pretty overwhelming. Standing before Christ's glory is, is to endure a kind of holy terror. And that's what our passage says. This is an experience of terror for them. The disciples are terrified out of their minds, and suddenly a cloud overshadows them and envelops them, embraces them. I like to think of that cloud embracing these scared disciples. And out of the cloud, a voice speaks. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now we know for sure God has a sense of humor. Listen to him? Does God realize who Jesus brought to the top of the mountain? 
Peter, James, and John, the Rock and the Sons of Thunder, they're not exactly known for their listening skills. Maybe that's why Jesus brought them. This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. The, these disciples are the ones that needed that message. They're invited to stop all the talking, to stop all the doing, all the building and the making and the producing, to just be still and listen. Listening might not have been their spiritual gift, and it might not be yours either. And if it's not, consider this text an invitation to slow down and be still and to listen, because in that stillness, we just might catch a word from God. This week, we enter the season of Lent, and it is a season of preparation. Some of us hear that word preparation, and we imagine leaping into action. If you're hosting a Super Bowl party tonight, you might think of preparation as an active thing. How do you prepare for the party? You, you send out invitations, you clean the house up, you buy the food. Sometimes you have to go to three grocery stores because they're all sold out of queso dip. That's what preparation looks like. That's what it looks like in our lives, a time for doing things. But preparing for Lent isn't quite the same. No amount of queso dip can prepare you or me for the resurrection of Christ. When it comes to preparing for Lent, we're not preparing a party or a meal, we're preparing our hearts. We're examining our souls. We're learning how to be a people of God. So how do we do that? We have to slow down and get still and listen. One important way to listen for God is through prayer. Now, we listen for God here in this place, but I think this invitation is bigger. It's not just listen to Jesus while you're on the mountain. It's listen to him the rest of your lives. And we're invited to listen in every place in our life. This year, the Stephen ministers here at the church have developed a Lenten devotional. It starts on Ash Wednesday, and every week of Lent, there's a scripture, a reflection, and a prayer. And each each entry feels like a mini testimony. We don't use that word in the Presbyterian Church much, but it is. Each entry is a mini testimony by someone from this congregation about how God has been at work in their lives. And they look like this, and they're out in the gathering space. You can pick up a devotional today on your way out. You can also find it on our website online. And if you don't have a regular intentional prayer practice, I invite you to start one. At least do it for Lent. You can do anything for six weeks, right? I'll start one as well, because here's the thing you should know about me. I am terrible at having a consistent prayer practice. Confession time, Joe said we should confess what we really are as your pastor. I am terrible at this. I pray haphazardly, but this is what I know because I also like to run. If I only go out and run when I feel like it, I never get good at running. I never get good at it. I have to go day after day and have good days and bad days and all the in-between to really get into shape. And I think to get into shape when it comes to preparing our hearts, we have to be listening. And we have to listen consistently. Not because it's easy, but because it's necessary. So up on that mountain with Jesus, Peter, James, and John not only get confirmation of who Jesus is, they also get a command to listen. 
And as we prepare for Lent, may we also heed that command. May we resolve not to do more or make more or build more, not to busy ourselves with activity. Instead, may we resolve to draw near to God in this holy season and allow him to prepare our hearts for the wonder that is to come. Let us practice being present. Let us practice being still. Let us practice listening. For in that listening, we may very well catch the voice of God. Amen. This podcast is a ministry of First Presbyterian Church of Marietta. Come join us Sundays at 189 Church Street, Marietta, Georgia, or visit us online at fpcmarietta.org.